Hey there, folks. Thanks for tuning in. You are listening to E Pluribus Unum, a podcast where we talk about pop culture and politics from a Jewish perspective, and sometimes we take lessons specifically from Jewish sources that we can apply to our own lives. Today, I'd like to talk about something that really, truly, 100%, I think we can all agree on. And I know people say this all the time, and sometimes they say it about real political things, and sometimes they make jokes. This one's real. Can we all please, actually not can we, we must all stop using the term Nazi to describe everyone. People use the term Nazi to describe Republicans. They use it to describe Democrats. They use it to describe their neighbor down the street who won't get the COVID vaccine. They use it to describe their neighbor down the street who believes in COVID mandates. People will use it to describe nearly everyone, and it is getting to the point, I hope it's not already there, where the term Nazi doesn't mean anything anymore. And this is problematic for multiple reasons. First of all, it is deeply offensive to any Jew, any disabled person, any gay person, any gypsy, anyone at all who was persecuted, tortured, imprisoned, murdered by the Nazis. To call someone on Twitter that you dislike a Nazi is to deny the truth and the horror and the tragedy that actual real people went through and then had to live with, for some people, all of their lives. Now, for those of us who are I have to say, for those of us who are somewhat educated, you would think really you wouldn't have to be educated to know about the Holocaust and the Nazis, but unfortunately, it seems that kids today, young people today, are less aware of it. And I have personal experience with this because I teach Jewish children, and I have worked with Jewish teens, and even the Jewish teens I have worked with have not been familiar really, with who the Nazis were or what Hitler did. And if Jewish teens aren't familiar and don't understand the full ramification, how can we expect other kids who have no cultural connection? I mean, how can we expect? We should expect people to know history no matter what. But certainly Jewish kids should be there. And if Jewish kids aren't there, where's the rest of the world? And there are reports and studies that indicate that teens are not very well-versed in what the Holocaust was or what Hit- or who Hitler was. And now their only exposure to it is people on Twitter using it to defame people they disagree with. But for the rest of us who are maybe a little bit older, whose schools actually taught us something about it, who have maybe read a book or two, or seen a movie or two, how many World War II movies are there recently especially, but altogether, we know what the Nazis did. But even those of us who know cannot fully comprehend the extent of their depravity and their inhumanity. I am reading a book right now. It's really good. It's a, it's nonfiction, but it's written it with this uh, kind of narrative style. It's called Lady in Gold. It's by Anne Marie O'Connor. It's a fascinating story about a piece of artwork that was owned by a Jewish woman in Vienna before the war. And 
it was stolen like so much artwork and other precious things were stolen from Jews during the Holocaust and about the eventual, or at least the struggle of her descendants to reclaim this piece of art. I'm only about halfway through, so I don't know the conclusion. I think, I'm pretty sure they get the artwork back, but I'll have to keep you posted or go read it yourself. But that's not really the important part of this, of why I'm bringing it up. I'm bringing it up because the majority of the story so far is set in Austria before and during World War II. So far, I just got to where World War II is finally over, and a majority of the characters are Jewish, so they all have different experiences with the Nazis, some being sent to camps, some, thank God, being able to escape ahead of time, a variety of experiences. But the author, it's not a Holocaust story, so the author does not go into the same depth and detail as you might find in a book that's specifically about World War II, but she does mention it, and she mentions some of the atrocities that happened. And the point is that even those of us who know what World War, what happened in World War II, any book you pick up about any person's experience, it does not matter really whose experience you read about. You will read something that will shock you as a human, that people could do this to other humans. Like the, and this was actually not even about Jews, but the story that she shared in this book about a a group of people that was locked in a church and then burned by the Nazis. And we all know about the concentration camps and the imprisonment and the forced labor, people digging their own graves. But people weren't just killed in these inhuman, like no human connection ways like gas chambers. There were firing squads, people's throats were slit, women were raped. And that's, in a way, just the tip of the iceberg, because that's almost what we, we would expect from marauders during a war, right? That's that's like the, the tip of human depravity, but the specific way. So anytime you come in contact with it, you just realize how, what an extreme form of evil the Nazi regime was and how despicable it is, completely 100% despicable to use the term Nazi to describe someone who is not that. Honestly, if there's an N-word in our culture, it should be this. We should not be using this word unless we are talking about history or we are talking about a very specific group of people following specific dictates, right? There's other bad things to call people. There have been other bad groups throughout history. We could just call someone a thug. We could call someone deranged. We could call someone stupid. There are other things we could call people on Twitter without having, or we could, we could say they're a fascist, right? Fascist is more broad. There's so many other things we could call someone than a Nazi. And I'm not saying, God forbid, that we should wait until, God forbid, it should ever happen here or anywhere, but I'm not saying that we need to wait until people are being rounded up from their homes to call it out. As we know, the Nazis didn't start rounding up people in their homes and sending them to gas chambers. They started it with laws and not allowing Jews to go to school or not to the same schools. People weren't allowed to go to Jewish businesses or they were harangued for going to Jewish businesses. Jews and non-Jews weren't allowed to marry. So there were creeping, disgusting, racist, anti-Jewish laws that led to a populace 
being okay with, essentially being okay with the Nazis doing what they did to Jews. And yes, also to gypsies and gays and disabled and, and all sorts of people. So if a politician is actively calling for something along those lines, then perhaps we could make the connection to Nazi. Though I still think there are other things we could call people to point out that what they're doing is wrong and an overreach of power or discriminatory or bigoted or any of those other things before we get to Nazi. It's not the only comparison we need to make, but we should definitely not make it the first thing. It, it can't be this blanket term every time we disagree with someone because it's it stops meaning anything. There was a tweet recently. I hate to break some people's hearts. It broke my heart when I found out who wrote this tweet, though maybe people are already aware. It was a tweet from Carrie Elways, the actor, who I think is a great actor. And it was very disappointing to read this tweet. It's one thing to know that people or actors disagree with you politically. That's no big deal. But this tweet was so disgusting that it really changed my opinion of him. And it's going to make it hard to watch him, which is unfortunate because he's a great actor. But he tweeted, this was, this was in November. He tweeted, quote, for all the outraged GOP members attacking Big Bird, the letter of the day for you is D. D is for dumb. D is for demented. D is for desperate. D is for delusional. I spent the weekend weeding out Nazi followers. Go back to chatting with your loser friends at Telegram or Parlor or whatever tragic caves you live in, but leave me the F alone. Unquote. Okay, so this was in response, apparently, to Big Bird announcing on Sesame Street that he got the COVID-19 vaccine. Probably annoying for a kid's show, but it's Sesame Street and that's what we expect. So whatever. People were complaining about it, and I guess some of his followers were complaining, and he, he responded to them. He called them Nazis. The I'm struggling to find the word for the, I mean, it's disgusting, but the thoughtless, heartless, disgusting, idiotic, insert more words here, choice to call people who are mad at Sesame Street, to call them Nazis when people's grandparents and great-grandparents and parents were tortured, raped, and murdered by people called Nazis is so beyond disgusting that I can't fathom how someone's mind works that way. What kind of warped mind a person must have to equate people complaining about Big Bird and Sesame Street to people who actively killed those with disabilities because they were too many mouths to feed. There's no moral equivalence there, and to use it is such an affront to everyone who struggled against the Nazis, and not just, yes, as I've mentioned, the, the Jews and the gypsies and the gays and the disabled people and the, the socialists too, other kind of socialists that the Nazis didn't like, because of course they were socialists, that's what Nazi stands for, is national socialists, but also the soldiers who went to fight in World War II, all of the allied soldiers. It is such a disgusting thing to compare I mean, this is one of the most ridiculous cases, but you know what? The truth is it's not. People use Nazi all the time and it's disgusting and it's wrong and we should all call it out no matter where it's coming from, no matter which side the political aisle. If someone uses the term Nazi and you follow them on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook or you hear it, let them know. Say, hey, I disagree with your politics or I agree with your politics. 
but you cannot use the term Nazi. It's not okay. It's offensive. I mean, we use the term offensive for things that are not offensive, right? Like supposedly black women get upset when people ask to touch their hair, which by the way, I have asked plenty of my friends to touch their hair when it looks silky and smooth and they've not been black. It's just something girls do. Like get over yourself. Honestly, get over yourself. That's not offensive. This is offensive. Offensive is probably another word that doesn't mean anything anymore, but we need to make it mean something and we need to remind people what Nazi actually means and people need to stop using it. Period. End of story. All right. So today, I guess it's just going to be one of those days where I go from one mini rant to another mini rant, one soapbox to another soapbox. Sometimes it's just one of those days and there are things to share, but they're important things. And that's why I'm here, right? Where we got to, we got to fix our culture. Um, to fix our culture, sometimes we have to fix ourselves, you know, and we have to look at things in a way that we don't usually look at them, right? Things that we're so used to happening that we just say, oh, that's, that's the way it is. We, ha we have to take a step back. So this one might take some people aback and I'm open to being wrong on this. Though I don't know that there's necessarily a right or wrong, but I'm definitely open to conversation as I am on all these topics, but definitely, except for using Nazis as a term. No, just stop. But on this coming topic, I'm a little, I, I would be interested in having conversations with people about it. So Martin Luther King Jr. Day is this coming Monday. By the way, I think MLK Day is a wonderful holiday to have. He is definitely a person in our history worthy of having us celebrate him, whether or not it comes with a day off or it's just noted on the calendar. Still, I think it's important. I think it also is like a clear, super clear indication that we are not a racist country. There's only one individual that we celebrate on a particular day, and that is Martin Luther King Jr., right? We don't even do celebrate the president's birthdays anymore individually, right? We celebrate them as a group, President's Day, but we're not specifically celebrating Abraham Lincoln or Washington's birthday like we used to. The only person we celebrate is a black man. If that is not an indication that we are not racist, what is? But it's going to be MLK Day on Monday. And you know, we're going to get a lot of speeches from politicians and tweets and all sorts of remembrances. And there will be posts on Instagram, all of which is lovely. Speeches are fine. You know, it's a good way to mark a day. It's certainly preferable to shopping sales like most other three-day holidays have, right? Like President's Day is just about getting good deals on cars. That's that's a disgusting use of a holiday, right? So, so speeches are fine and post on Instagram and remind people who MLK is. It's only through reminding people who someone is that, you know, history lives on and they know to follow and who he is. So all of that's fine. What I think is dangerous territory is what will certainly happen which is the use of MLK's quotes and ideas to make pronouncements about what he would do were he alive today. It's one thing to take a person's idea, you know, and to understand it and to apply it to a given time, but to say, this is what MLK would say if he were alive today. This is what he would say about Black Lives Matter. This is what he would say about January 6th. This is what he would say about whatever the thing is. We don't know. He was assassinated. And even if he weren't assassinated, he unlikely would be alive today. He was born in 1929. So he could still be alive today. He'd be old. But we don't know. And both sides will do it. Some people will use his quote to say that riots are the voice of the unheard to justify how Black Lives Matter rioted and looted last year. 
And some people will point to Martin Luther King's general air of nonviolence to point to the fact that he would not have supported what Black Lives Matter did last year. See, this is where it's a fine line, because we absolutely have to read MLK's writings, right, and, and what he and his speeches, and we have to learn from him, and we have to learn to apply those ideas to our current day. But I think that's different from saying this is what he would say were he in this present moment. Because you know what? We don't know. Hopefully he would have maintained his nonviolence stance and been such a leader for the Black community and really for Americans as a whole that we would have, that we would be in this era of, of true unity. And that would be amazing. I wasn't alive when he was assassinated, but I have to imagine that his assassination and then, you know, the anger surrounding that and other Black leaders at the time, we don't know where race relations would have been had he not been killed prematurely. And other people too, right? Malcolm X, same thing. But the point is we don't know. And I don't think we need to know. I don't think we need to know exactly what MLK would say about people rioting to be able to say rioting and looting is wrong. I don't think we need to know exactly what MLK would say to say that assessing people for work, school, or the military based solely on their color of their skin is wrong. These are things that are wrong or right, whether or not MLK said them, whether or not he commented on them. He did comment on a lot of these topics, and we do have what he said, but what he was saying, he was talking in 1965, or he was talking in the 1960s, and he was saying eternal truth. So again, this is where it's tricky, because he was saying eternal truth, and it's not, we should continue those eternal truths. The, the Torah was written thousands of years ago, but the Torah is still true today. So it's not that we can't use old words and old ideas to explain situations or to teach people today. Of course, if, if, a, if an idea is good, it's good. And it really doesn't matter when it was from. But I just think we get into dangerous territory when we say this is what this person would do. Or use someone's words from now 60 years ago to explain away, to defend, or to support something we're doing. Like last year during the riot, is that last? No, that was 2020. Oh my gosh, time is weird. In 2020, when in the heat of the riots, people were posting Riots are the voice of the unheard. You could see it all over Instagram. People were using MLK's words to justify looting and rioting and hurting people. Even if Martin Luther King really thought that, and that is a, a quote pulled without context, what they were doing was wrong. So now they're putting something that was wrong in the, in the voice of someone that they care about. They're, basically, they were using him as a cudgel, right? Because everyone supports, I mean, you have to be daft not to love so much of what Martin Luther King said, and people just use his words as a weapon to prove their point. And I don't think that that's the best way to do things. That's why I think, you know, people love putting up quotes on their wall or quotes on Instagram. And quotes are good, but they are not, well, they're just like bumper stickers. They might be a start of a conversation. They're a germination of an idea, but they're not everything. And we can't use them to prove or disprove. And we definitely can't use the words of someone who's been dead for 60 years to comment on what's happening today, or at least not definitively. It's a fine line, which is why it's something I'd, I'd love to talk to people about, because I guess I'm a little bit more open on this one. I'm not quite as ranty about it, but I still think it's better to err on the side of not saying definitively, this is what so-and-so would say or do today, because we don't know. By the way, in addition to the fact that I think it's great we celebrate MLK because it proves we're not racist, I also think it's great we celebrate him because he was a little 
problematic in today's terms, right? He had his philandering and he was a bit of a womanizer, but he ha still had great things to say. I don't know if kids are taught that and, you know, maybe you don't teach philandering to five-year-olds. You know, you, you find a, you find the right age to teach kids about that. But for us as a nation to have as a hero, a leader who was flawed, that's the same thing in Judaism. One of our greatest heroes in Judaism is King David, a majorly flawed individual for the same reason, actually. Women were his downfall, but we still look up to him as a hero because he still had so much to teach us and he was still such a great person. And same with MLK. Okay, he had flaws, but he still had so much to teach us. And I, th I think celebrating that, celebrating, celebrating a person like that is a good lesson and reminder for all of us. So I just have one last thing to talk about. And this last week's Parsha, the weekly Torah portion, the Israelites have finally been freed from Egypt and they finally crossed the Reed Sea. So they're safe from the Egyptians and they're finally starting their travels in the desert. And they start off their travels by complaining. I shouldn't say they start off their travels. Immediately after they cross the sea, they sing a song to God, which we still say in our daily prayers. Miriam and the women danced. They were celebratory and grateful. Shortly thereafter, the Israelites complained to God. Unfortunately, this is not the only time the Israelites will complain to God while they're in the desert. It was a recurring theme. But what was their complaint this time? They complained about the lack of food. They said, quote, If only we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by pots of meat, and we ate bread to our fill, for you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire congregation to death. That's uh, Exodus 16, 2, in case you want to go look it up for yourself. This is an interesting situation that I think talks to, speaks to us as humans all the time, and, and I think specifically the lives we live today. Because what, what were the Israelites saying? They were saying it was better, they would have preferred to be in Egypt where they were slaves, because at least they had a constant supply of food, as opposed to being in the desert where they were free, but they didn't know where their food was coming from. And I'm sure there's a little bit of rose-tinted glasses looking at the past here because they were slaves in Egypt. So did they really have a steady stream of food? Did they always know where their food was coming from? Were they really eating their fill of meat and bread or were they just getting scraps? I would hazard a guess that as slaves, they probably weren't, you know, eating food, glorious food every day. So that's one thing. But also, it's, it's the dichotomy of comfort versus freedom, right? Of an easy life versus a hard life. And we, as Americans, are lucky that we kind of have both, right? We, most of us live very comfortable lives. We have sturdy roofs over our heads. We have multiple changes of clothes. We're not too concerned about where our next meal is coming from. And then we have luxuries on top of that. We have TVs, we have warm blankets, we have phones, we have all sorts of entertainments. We're living pretty comfortable lives and we're relatively free. I mean, we're very free, right? We pretty much, we get to choose what job we want. We get to choose what school we go to, at least for college. We get to choose who we marry. We get to choose how to spend our time. We're free to say what we want, theoretically. We're free to practice our religion, theoretically, but mostly. We are living in this time when we actually have both and we don't have to make too much of a compromise. We have all made compromises 
Sometimes we don't think about it. Sometimes we don't get our choice because the government does what it wants. But basically, we live in comfort and we get to be free. But sometimes those two things come against each other. And the Torah, several thousand years ago, was teaching us about where our priority should be. God did send, this is where he sends the manna to the Israelites. Because, yes, you, you do need food to survive. God wants the people to survive. But... Maybe he also wanted them to recognize that freedom is not always easy. Living a free life does come with hard choices. It comes with a hard life. It means you have to work for your food. It means you have to sometimes choose between going out to dinner or making your car payment. Life was not necessarily supposed to be easy, but we were going to be free to serve God, right? That's why he freed us. He freed us to serve God and then to be able to share the teachings with the world. You know, these days we're so used to comfort that people want to stay home forever until we vanquish a virus, right? Because we're so used to comfort and health and safety. We think it's a natural right, but it's it's not. It's a byproduct of this world we've created, of this country we've created. But there, there are going to be hardships. And it's going to be harder the more free we are. But maybe that's worth it. So just something to think about freedom versus comfort. Thank you so much for listening and can't wait to see you next time. Thank you for listening to E Pluribus Unum. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave a rating and a review. And please share the podcast with anyone you think would benefit from some common sense and thoughtfulness. Follow me on Facebook and Instagram at E Pluribus Unum Podcast. You can also find me on Locals at E Pluribus Unum Podcast.locals.com. The intro and end music is Chopin's Etude Opus 10, number one in C major, known as the Waterfall Etude.